to answer your question, did all technical analysts see the bear market at the same time? Um, anecdotally, we, we held a conference in um, April in Washington, D.C., April of 2022. It was very clear to everyone in our community that the liquidity regime had changed, that we had broken out of a 40-year downtrend on the TNX, so the rising rate environment, It was this was not a... Um, a fleeting glimpse at uh, some inflation. It, it was not going to be transitory. We had uh, secular shifts in, in how things were moving. And then we pay very close attention to correlations between data series. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome, folks, to today's IBKR podcast. And great way to kick off the year with a good colleague and friend of mine, Tyler Wood, CMT. Welcome, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing great, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Um, and I'm going to have to point out to the audience here that this is being recorded prior to Christmas, but the role of a technical analyst is to predict the future. So given that this podcast is going to go out in January, Tyler, let me ask you, how was Christmas? Oh, we had a great time. Yeah, <laughs> full of family, friends, covered in snow. <laughs> I can already foretell what disasters await me at the family Christmas dinner table, but uh, let's save that for a different episode. Very good. And and did you use your Andrew's pitchfork to move the snow? <laughs> uh, you, you've been preparing, you've been studying for this podcast. I, I've been studying technical analysis for about 30 years, but I, but I never sat the test. Tell us a little bit about the CMT. Sure thing. So uh, I have the great pleasure of representing an organization that has been serving the financial services industry since 1973, officially. Uh, group actually began in the late 1960s. Uh, with a, a small team of sell-side equity research analysts. So it, w it began on Wall Street. And it began because we were at the end of the go-go years and a big bull market. And at the top, you had a lot of speculative firms or snip and clip clubs, as they were called in the late 60s, uh, that were masquerading under the banner technical analysis, that they had great insights and hot tips on, uh, on where people could get a great stock uh, return. And so the group that uh, that began what is now the CMT Association or Chartered Market Technicians Association really wanted some professional recognition and to distinguish what they did from what was available to, to retail consumers, meaning that uh, there were a lot of myths about technical analysis, a lot of misuse of the tools uh, that, that really needed to be cleared up. These folks were macroeconomists, they were statisticians. Uh, the way I describe it is the original big data farm of Wall Street was in the technician's office. And, and these people collated uh, and, and curated price data and then charted everything by hand. Literally pencil on paper, graph, graph paper that covered the entire walls of libraries. And I've had the good fortune of seeing Ralph Acampora's uh, chart room from, uh, from the old days with Alan Shaw at what is now Citigroup. Uh, but but that discipline of studying the message of the market really needed some clarification, some standardization. And that that began our uh, association, which is both an advocacy body and a credentialing agency. Now, you've just come back from a, a not a tour of India, but tell us about the Mumbai event. 
Yeah. So uh, I've been with the firm for about 10 years, uh, and we've had a, a huge international expansion since the great financial crisis, meaning that uh, in our advocacy efforts, working with uh, foreign national regulators and exchanges on sort of what their credibility standards and competency standards and frameworks are for uh, traders and, and portfolio managers, uh, we've had a lot of demand for um, responsible technical analysis education. So that's that's happened in Malaysia and all across uh, Europe and emerging markets, uh, as well as in India. I've been very bullish on India personally for about 20 years. Uh, I, I actually ended up marrying a beautiful Bengali woman that I met in college here in the States. Uh, but we opened our first office in India in 2018. That was the, the first CMT office outside of the US. And it was because of the demand of our members uh, across India. So one month ago, uh, we went back to an in-person, three-dimensional conference. Uh, we host a lot of seminars, workshops, and large-scale conferences around the world and throughout the year. That one in India was particularly enjoyable. We had a great, uh, great cadre of uh, speakers from all over the world, Australia, Japan, and uh, the US and Europe as well. They came to join us for the week. And uh, beyond just the conference, which was on Saturday, uh, we did a ton of um, outreach, both to our academic partner schools like KJ Samaya, uh, gave gave a full day program to uh, to the business school students there, lots of media uh, coverage of, of our visitors, and then uh, meetings with both the National Stock Exchange and the Bombay Stock Exchange uh, that were really, uh, it was a great exchange of information because I think a lot of our foreign delegates uh, didn't know that uh, Indian exchanges are the fastest in the world. Uh, we really, it, it's hard to wrap your mind around the scale and the size of trading. Uh, and just in the last couple of years, they've moved from uh, about 50 million market participants to 110 million market wow. participants, uh, which is, uh, it's staggering to think about how many traders are out there. And I, I guess the food was pretty good too. <laughs> Clearly, by the uh, the the bulging, uh, I'm I'm testing the the physical resistance of my soup buttons these days. Uh, yes, I devour Indian food, yep. and uh, so have all of my colleagues. You know, uh, it, it, to each their own. Not everybody has a palate for uh, for spicy food, but um, I think that's the the biggest takeaway for folks outside of India is that there is no one India. If you go to an Indian food restaurant in uh, in the UK or in the US, it's basically just North Indian food. You get some butter chicken and some naan. Uh, but when you explore the country in in, uh, in local terms, you understand that there are a hundred different countries that just happen to exist in the same border. And that diversity is present in food and culture and music and dress and religion and every everything else. But uh, we, we had a great experience. Very good. Now, let's go back to pre 1973, that was kind of the launch uh, you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier on. Can you go back and give us some context on the development of technical analysis as an industry over, over, over several hundred years? I think you have to go back to the earliest form of futures trading for rice contracts in Osaka, Japan. In a, and I'm not sure if it was the 1600s or the 1700s, but is that, is that a good yeah. starting point to discuss this? That's a great starting point and, and really the basis of all technical analysis. A gentleman named Monahisa Homa understood that traders in the rice pits, uh, based on their behavior, right? If it was festival season, the sun was shining and people were overly enthusiastic, they would trade up the price of rice. And if it was 
you know, doomsday scenarios or, or people were uh, or depressed for any one reason, trading would tr uh, trend to the downside. So this gentleman developed a visual tool to understand trading behavior. We call it candlestick charts, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has them on every uh, piece of software on the planet. Um, so we have to we have to thank our forefathers uh, for coming up with these ideas of understanding open high low close data understanding uh how trading behavior throughout the day is going to give you some insight on where price is headed and that's that's the idea behind all technical analysis is data visualization and understanding irrational human behavior now walk us through a little bit about the experience of somebody who's training or going through the cmt process what's it what's involved well, it is a three-part exam. So we have a standardized curriculum for each of the three levels. Uh, chartered market technicians go through a very wide uh, course of study. So not just data visualization or securities trading, but also macroeconomics, understanding asset class correlations, understanding Dow theory, which is sort of the next leg forward in that histor historical progression. And then, you know, you fast forward to sort of modern day applications. We have a ton of um, uh, back testing, signal testing, quantitative methodologies for how people express technical views today. Uh, it's very different than the pencil and paper that uh, the founders of the CMT Association used in the uh, late 60s. Uh, but those three exams are offered twice a year in June and December. Um, statistically, pass rates are between the mid 50s and mid 60 percent. Um, so most candidates will end up taking at least one level a couple of times. Um, don't get discouraged. It is uh, it carries that worldwide recognition of a standard of competency because the exams are difficult. We uh, we're not trying to make this a, a really easy hurdle to jump over or just a online degree that you can purchase <laughs> without uh, proving your metal. You, you need to be serious. You got to be very this, serious. Right? Um, I went through the program myself. Yeah. It's, it's a th what a three year commitment. Well, at I, least I I personally did it in uh, eighteen months. And so if you pass level one, move on to level two, move on to level three in succession, uh, you can take an exam every six months, and you're done in a year and a half. Um, for a lot of folks, and and we don't have any time limit restrictions. We understand life happens. Uh, we have people in the program who've passed the first or second level, but then had a career shift or family formation, you name it, they can come back at any time, pick up right where they left off. The The caveat to that is that our curriculum is a living, uh, living body of knowledge, meaning that we go out and survey the industry. We do a practice analysis every few years. We work with psychometricians and a lot of uh, <laughs> academic statisticians to make sure that our curriculum represents what the hiring managers of Wall Street and Bay Street and Dalal Street, what they're all looking to capture in their next uh, new hire. So things like risk management and quantitative systems design and applied behavioral finance, those are additions to the curriculum that have happened just in the last, um, really the last 15 years. And it's because of that refresh uh, that we go out and, and find out what's most relevant to the industry. And that's where our curriculum then becomes formed. Um, so we want to know what uh, what technical analysis looks like in 2023. You can pick up a textbook from the CMT curriculum. Now, I want to turn to the dire performance of the stock market for 2022 and kind of get, get your take on how technical analysts performed yeah. this year. We're all CMT technicians united on defining that ahead of the time or at some specific point 
what indicators did they use that were most reliable in predicting or viewing the bear market? And which indicators confirmed its presence and duration? <laughs> great, great questions, Andrew. Um, the first thing that I have to say is that um, not all market participants are ever going to agree because it depends on their risk tolerance, their objectives for the fund and, and their timeframes. Um, but also math is just math. So when you when you ask about uh, what were the indicators that defined the entrance into the bear market and the sustainability to this downtrend um, at the risk of sounding like an ass price. Price is a great indicator of things going south, right? Now, if we're talking about, um, uh, you know, what what is great news fodder or fodder for the news desks, uh, they're they're very concerned about, you know, that move to a uh, correction from a correction to a bear market and the percentage terms off the highs that define that. For for technical analysts and CMT charter holders uh, specifically, what's more important is is a composite blend of information. So we're looking at cross-asset relationships and how they've changed, um, not overly complicating the, the suite of indicators we might use, but do you see volume, price trend, um, volatility and momentum all signaling a confirmation to the downside? Um, that weight of the evidence approach is really what most technicians uh, lean on so that they don't have one pet indicator. And I think a lot of the traders that uh, got involved in financial markets right after the COVID collapse, um, probably found one thing that worked for them during those 12 months. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's that's how most indicators work, is that there's a period in which um, they're very well situated for that market regime. Uh, but regimes change. And you see quant funds blow up every four or five years because they have modeled things based on a specific regime, or they they have not been able to include enough data uh, into their back tests so that they can be agile. And I think that's a it's a wonderful debate that will probably rage on for decades about whether you want to be purely systematic or you want to have some discretion. Uh, but but to answer your question, did all technical analysts see the bear market at the same time? Um, anecdotally, we we held a conference in um, April in Washington D.C. April of 2022, it was very clear to everyone in our community that the liquidity regime had changed, that we had broken out of a 40-year downtrend on the TNX. So the rising rate environment, it was this was not a, um, a fleeting glimpse at uh, some inflation. It, it was not going to be transitory. We had uh, secular shifts in, in how things were moving. And then we pay very close attention to correlations between data series, and, and they can change over time. So historically, right, every financial advisor out there builds you a 60-40 portfolio, and they tilt back and forth between bonds and equities. That's diversification in the classic definition. This year, that didn't work for anybody because bonds and stocks moved lower together. That's a, uh, that's a real problem for wealth management when their diversification dries up, when those correlations change. And that, I think, was the big signal to the technical community that uh, we're in a very different environment now than we were in uh, 2020 and 2021. When 6040 meets a bear market for bonds, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You know, and the other point, Andrew, is that uh, in our community, you can you can pick out sentiment signals, right? In 2020 and 2021, 
We saw SPACs everywhere. Who didn't have a SPAC? Did you launch a SPAC, Andrew? I bet you did. <laughs> Meme stocks, right? You're, you're... I have a couple here in the cupboard. Yeah, exactly. AMC at, uh, you know, 250% gains. Like, it's a movie theater. Sure, we'll go back to the movies after the pandemic ends, but it's it's a $6 stock. Right? From any kind of fundamental valuation metric, there was no reason for this. NFTs, celebrity-endorsed cryptocurrencies. All of those are sentiment extremes, and you see them appear at, at the top of bubbles. It's not a sell signal, right? The, the, the market can behave irrationally much longer than you can remain solvent. So we, we don't sell based on these sentiment extremes, but technical analysis helps you take a composite view and listen to the message of the market. When, when things rolled over in early 2022, um, price is your big indicator. And have we been at the party a little too long? Is it just, you know, is the punch bowl all dried up? Or is it only the drunk people left? Should, should we call an Uber and get home? Yes, it's time to take cover. And that's that was, I think, pretty universally experienced by uh, by members of our community. One of one of the signs that I remember the signals is is to do with Dow theory. Can, can you just you mentioned it earlier on. Can you just just to spend a little time talking about Dow theory? What is it? What does it look like? Because do, we don't get bear markets very often. But yeah. When did it signal something? How accurate were the signals? And where yeah. are we now as we as we wrap up 2022? So uh, so I think it helps to understand who Charles H. Dow was. Uh, he's a journalist, father of the Wall Street Journal, uh, founder of the Dow uh, Indices. Um, and it was Robert Ray who wrote a book about a lot of his editorial comments in the newspaper uh, from the turn of the century. So it was about 1890, and Robert Ray wrote his book in the early uh, 20th century. What we're talking about from Dow theory is a person who was combating Right. As a journalist, he's trying to understand how your average person could even participate in financial markets. At the time, remember, we, we didn't have the Securities Act of 1933. That we didn't have standardized reporting of fundamental data. There was no quarterly reporting and insider trading was rampant. So you've got no other information to go on than the market itself. And, and so Charles H. Dow, had, there are several tenets. One is that markets move in multiple time frames. Right? You'll hear technical analysts talk about how markets are fractal. And that's just a fancy word for saying you can use the same tools, whether you're looking at a daily chart, a monthly chart, or a five-minute chart. Your time frame, uh, you can be agnostic. You can use this across the asset classes. Um, the other thing that, that comes out of the Dow theory is the need for confirmation. So uh, think about the, the underlying rationale on, on an economic principle. If you have a, an industrials index and you have a transports index, if the industrial companies are manufacturing lots of goods and, and the economy looks like it's raging, but those goods are not being shipped to customers, right? The transports are not confirming a new high in the industrials or vice versa. Um, you know that there's something suspect, right? <laughs> Maybe all this inventory is being, uh, you know, declared as sold but never shipped. Uh, there are lots of funny games that happen in companies. Uh, talk to some of the execs from Enron. The 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 point of Dow theory in 2022 is that uh, all of those same principles, because they are first principles of the market, meaning they're they're sort of inviolable human behavior sort of rules, you can still use them. So uh, we didn't have a confirmation from the transports in uh, in January of 2022. So the Dow Industrials made their uh, penultimate high um, and you didn't get confirmation. 
Then they were both in sync to the downside by April. So you had confirmation of a bearish trend based on the Dow theory tenets. Um, but then two weeks ago, the industrials actually broke above their August high, right? We, we've seen the Dow really strengthen. Certainly if you compare between the, um, uh, between the major US indices, Dow is outperforming uh, the, the NASDAQ handily because you're, you're seeing a rotation into more industrial and cyclical sectors of the market. You're not seeing the same performance from tech, which, uh, which dominates the, the NASDAQ. But we, that new high in the Dow was not conform, confirmed yet by transports. So we're at a really interesting inflection point, I think here, as we're recording in mid-December, but uh, releasing this in early January. Um, nobody knows what the future holds, but if we can uh, listen to the message of the market and react responsibly to what that price data, what those indicators are telling us about the health and sustainability of, of what has basically just been a relief rally up until this point, uh, that'll help in, uh, investors you know, allocate accordingly going into the new year. Very good. So from time to time, the media likes to pick up on some signals or big bazookas, as I call them, that technicians pull out of their hats. Talk to me about things like the Hindenburg signal and Super Bowl signals. Maybe maybe it's time for some myth busting here. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, technicians all get walked out onto uh, the news desks uh, during bear markets, right? In a bull market, everybody's a genius, Andrew, because everything went up. It's only when, uh, what do they say? As the tide washes out, you find out who's been swimming naked, right? Um, and those catchy names, right? Those make for good news headlines. The Hindenburg Omen. Um, the, the myth bust is that a lot of those signal tests uh, and back tests using those signals lack robustness. And so what I mean is that quantifying whatever tools you're using by looking at a 30, 60, 90 day return after a trading signal, that's that's basically table stakes these days. That's that's not new, and that's uh, a basic requirement of of doing anything successfully over time. You have to understand the um, the robustness and the signal strength of the tools that you're using across multiple regimes. So the the signals that have those big names, uh, I really don't. Uh, they don't carry much water. They they have not proven themselves. What has proven itself and what most money managers and, and uh, strategy developers are doing is to start with a philosophical approach, right? Are you a trend follower? Do you buy things that have already been on a run? You, you buy things that are expensive and sell them when they become more expensive? Or are you a, you know, quote unquote, value investor, right? In, in the fundamental terms, a value investor or a growth investor, Value investors in the, in the technical terminology is somebody who's looking for mean reversion. You, you are drawn to the idea of buying things that are uh, ha have gone through a significant drawdown and you expect them to revert back to their longer term average. So mean reversion strategies may be a little shorter term. Um, and if you can identify in your own personality whether or not you can tolerate shorter term day trading, scalp, <laughs> scalping, swing trading, or if you're a long-term investor, maybe something like a tactical asset allocation model is is more your speed. And neither one is wrong. Neither one is better than the other. They're just going to fit your personality and, and the philosophy with which you approach the markets. Uh, for a lot of people, trend following is just too hard to swallow. Uh, I know when we go into a, a department store, we don't immediately ask the sales associate, hey, what's been marked up 30%? I, I want to buy a coat that's more expensive today than it was last month. 
Nobody does that. And it's really hard to wrap your mind around doing that as an investor. So uh, I think that's the place to start, not with a Hindenburg omen, not with a, a dead cat bouncer or looking at those things, um, but then to, to build a set of tools that gives you that weight of the evidence approach. The, the probabilistic uh, credence that you have, the conviction that you have in your trading system is gonna be supported by having multiple tools that confirm or tell you the same thing at the same time. And when you can get that broad-based picture using a composite blend of technical tools, uh, then, you can, then you can have faith in your system and just follow the rules, which is probably the hardest part of trading and investing. It's getting, getting your own behavior and your emotions out of the way of just following the rules, just listening to what the market's telling you. Do you have a favorite zany indicator that people have come to you over the over the years with? I think my, my favorite was that puking gum. Uh, yes, uh, you know, in fact, even even in 2022, when the whole world has seemed to get beyond these ideas of market efficiency and random walk theory, uh, there's an, a reporter at the Financial Times in in the UK, and I won't, you know, I won't call people out, but. Um, Clearly, some some fairly narrow-minded, uh, myopic views of technical analysis. And yes, the puking donkey indicator is uh, everybody can have a good laugh. Uh, but you know, people used to laugh at the Cubs until they won the World Series. People laughed at all Boston sports teams for decades, right? Uh, the fact is, when you meet people who do this with a responsible ethical approach, uh, like CMT charter holders do, uh, you're going to find that. Um, the definition of technical analysis that some financial journalists are going to be using just really doesn't square with what these people actually do every day. They're they're economists and they're securities traders and they're statisticians and uh, uh, I think it's a far cry away from uh, the subjective nature of some of the pattern recognition uh, that gets pointed to. Let's move from equities to other asset classes. Forex, for example, sure. tends to trend quite nicely. Were there any notes? I mean, is, the, mm -hmm. 2022 was notable for the uptrend in the dollar. The year right? of the dollar. Um, were there any yeah. late on or notable signals during 2022 for, for Forex? And how about bonds with the Fed in the crosshairs lifting interest rates at the fastest pace in, or probably ever. How did technicians fare with fixed yeah. income assets this year? So, so I'll answer that in two parts. Uh, one, that that trade in the U.S. dollar um, really confounded all of Wall Street. I, I mean, how many analysts were calling for the top in the dollar in April and May and June, and then again in July and August and September? Uh, the the fact is, if you're just following trend, if you're using uh, the the core of all of our signals, right, which is what is price doing, then you saw that uh, the U.S. dollar had this run that was basically uninterrupted, right? There were periods of uh, consolidation, contraction, but never uh, never an anti-trend movement. Um, and that's really a product of the U.S. responding earlier to inflation than, than most of the other central bankers, which made U.S. Uh, US dollar sort of a safe haven uh, trade. It's also caused lots of headwinds for emerging markets and, and equities broadly, risk assets broadly. Um, but the reversion the last few weeks, uh, what's notable is, is both the U.K. and Eurozone, right? Uh, Euro dollar uh, U.S. has has been a fantastic uh, sort of view on maybe where where we're seeing things change. Right. If if inflation is tapering off, not 
over, but tapering off. The Fed Stop is slowing. ramping up as fast as possible. Correct. Uh, but also emerging markets, right? We've seen relative performance in in uh, in China, in Hong Kong, over over U.S. equities indices. But a lot of that can be captured in the in the currency trade as well. Um, taking it back to to our experience in India uh, just last month, I think what's uh, what's really attractive to a lot of global macro investors is where you can get a double whammy. So when you're looking at an equities market that's basically been flat on the year 2022, uh, where all other markets have uh, have had significant drawdowns. So India has outperformed on a relative basis. And now you might actually get that double whammy of, uh, of the currency trade. Um, that's very favorable to, uh, to an international uh, allocator. Um, and then you asked about the bond market. Uh, there's a lot of information in the bond market. Even if folks are not trading bonds, I highly recommend uh, that you <laughs> you pay attention at least to what's what's going on in the, in the rate environment um, and yields. But then, what I would say is that if you're if you're the Porsche Lep who has to be a bond trader, uh, there are some technical concepts that uh, that can really improve your return. So even in a in a struggling asset class, if you look at relative strength, right? Uh, compare your durations, short versus long or quality, right? HYG versus LQD, are you looking at uh, high yield? Are you looking at uh, corporate grade A debt? Are you looking at government treasuries? Um, a lot of technical tools can help you in a comparative sense to understand where the relative outperformance is. So for sector analysts out there as well who are listening, if you uh, if you happen to be forced into a uh, TMT or communications sector analyst role, and maybe most of your work is fundamental, do a momentum screen, do a technical screen uh, to pull out those opportunities that at least the market agrees with your fundamental thesis. Um, and I think that, that that can really lead to outperforming peers, even in a struggling asset class or sector group, uh, you name it. So let's finish on an outlook for 2023 as you as you're getting ready to write for next year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's on the radar? What are you, what are you looking at? Pick your pick your markets for us. I've got to say first that uh, the whole idea of uh, of technical analysis and trend following investors is that we uh, don't forecast. We want to obey what the market is telling us, but. To, to be a to be a good steward on this podcast, you won't uh, get paid if you don't. If you're looking at, <laughs> that's right, that's right. If you look at longer term charts, that's going to tell you longer term trend potential, right? Uh, so we're not talking about you know what's happened in the last thirty minutes or the last uh, even fifteen weeks. If we're looking at monthly and quarterly charts, I would say that the commodities uh, space is still very favorable. And what I mean, you know, energy was everybody's favorite uh, trade in, in 2022. The first half of the year was energy versus everything else. And then people found out about it and then it became uncool. It's like cocktail bars in Manhattan. You know, they're wonderful until somebody writes it up in The New York Times and that then really kills it. And you can't even find a seat. <laughs> what, what I would look at at a longer term chart of like the U.S. Commodities Index is the idea that we had a breakout from a very long term secular downtrend. And, and that was uh, sizable enough uh, to suggest the start of a new secular trend. So we're talking about long-term periods of years. Um, but then we've had this consolidation, right? We haven't we haven't completely fallen out of bed. We've moved sideways. If you're looking at at monthly bars or or even quarterly, um, we've had this sideways consolidation, which kind of looks like 
a trend continuation pattern. If you think about the behavior of investors, uh, there was a run up in commodities and then it sort of stagnated, you know, the, the porpoise of, uh, of the rate of change. But that typically leads to a continuation to the upside. I think the, the commentary from Fed Chairman Jerome Powell that, uh, you know, we're, we're still going to be combating inflation. We're not worried about recession. We're seeing strong jobs numbers. Um, I think I think we are going to see that uh, commodities play out over uh, the next several years. So not a short term trade, but a longer term asset allocation perspective. Uh, and that's that's across the board. The energy uh, complex is is really fascinating, both on the renewable side and uh, traditional energy and then maybe even precious metals as the dollar starts to uh, to tear off. Um, and within the equity space, I think uh, anybody who's not positioned defensively going into 2023 is seeing something that I'm just not seeing. Uh, so things like, you know, healthcare and staples have shown outperformance um, really steadily throughout the year, but then increasingly here in the last uh, uh, last few weeks. And uh, as well as cyclicals, right, materials and uh, and industrials have, uh, have held their own. I think what will be the tell in 2023 in terms of index level performance is whether energy and financials uh, can can get back into uh, into an upward trend. And that'll be a signal for uh, whether or not the broad market averages uh, move up. Um, I would definitely steer people away from everything that was so attractive in uh, in the run up in 2020 and 2021. Right. Netflix is nobody's friend right now. Semiconductors, interestingly, uh, seem to be showing some some opportunity, but that might be more of a short term trade. Um, I certainly see a lot of those communications companies that that we all relied so heavily on during the stay at home trade. Um, they they may be they may be washed out for a while. Do you have any thoughts on the duration of the bear market? It's I mean all of this year, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does does that bring us to a point? Is there a tipping point where we like it's been long enough? Mm-hmm. Bear markets only last X months historically. Any thoughts on that? A lot of folks smarter than I uh, study cycles, and uh, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of great work out there that we could encourage listeners to go uh, to go read. Um, what I would say that's less important than the time frame is more a, a factor of market um, internals. So when we talk about market breadth. Right. There are a series of indicators that are, are really important to be watching at market tops, a different series of indicators that are really important to be watching for uh, trend continuation. And what uh, what my friend JC Perrette always says is, you know, stocks have to stop going down before they can go back up. So if we look at uh, broad measures of breadth, like the advanced decline line, uh, we start to see these these breadth thrusts off the lows where more and more market participants, more and more stocks within the index are above a 10 day moving average, 20 period moving average, 50 period moving average. And as you get into longer durations, then then you can understand that the rally is sustainable. Right. But first, you have to see broad participation. And that's and the opposite exists at tops. So in the fall of 2021, we got very narrow, right? Uh, the U.S. indices were making new highs, but on the backs of you know eight or nine stocks. Um, that's an you know an interesting anecdote as well, right? That we had a hundred million Americans sent home from work and given a stimulus check, and what did they do? They became traders. They opened a Robinhood account and uh, or excuse me. We're gonna edit that out. <laughs> they opened an interactive brokers account and they. <laughs> Actually, I like it first. You should probably stick with the Robin Hood thing. And they, they opened Robin Hood accounts and they all got screwed. 
Uh, yeah, they own a Robinhood account and they got screwed. Then they found their way to interactive brokers. They listen to this podcast. Now they know how to use technical analysis and the rest is history. My point being that market breadth really dried up uh, to to a very few names because those were the those were the mega cap names of the day, right? It's IBM in the '80s is now you know the the Facebook, Meta, uh, Amazon, Netflix, Google uh, trade of 2022. Um, what what's really interesting about the uh, topping pattern is that when you get a really narrow market. And the and the cap weighting within the S and P 500 is a cap weighted index. Those nine names can carry the entire index, even while there is absolute churn and destruction going on for most of the names uh, below those those top ten holdings. Um, so we're looking at the reverse in uh, in terms of breadth thrusts to get out of bear market territory. What's on the horizon for the CMT this year? Do you have you mentioned the April 2022 meeting in New York? Is that or Washington? Is that repeated this year? Oh my gosh, uh, we have got a very full agenda for 2023. So, uh, in celebration of 50 years, uh, we're, we're pulling out all of the stops. We will be hosting a, a global um, uh, investment conference in New York City. It's called our CMT Symposium. That's April 26th, 7th, and 8th in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, we'll also be down at the New York Stock Exchange uh, Thursday night celebration with uh, a, a number of notable guests. Uh, full information about that conference is available at our website. Um, but more importantly, what we're what we're really excited about is just the all-time highs that we've seen in terms of CMT enrollment. There are now over 10,000 candidates in the program learning these tools, studying and, and hopefully passing their exams. Uh, as we sit here recording, we just concluded the December testing cycle. I'm really proud of uh, all of the folks from 137 countries around the world uh, who put forth their best effort uh, on the CMT programs this last week. Uh, and we'll be launching the new curriculum for 2023 in January as we open registration for those June exams. June 1 through 12 uh, will be the next CMT exam window. And uh, so, yes, uh, we're, we are very bullish on the growth of the organization on the status of our, our members around the world and uh, and the growth of CMT charter holders on, on the largest buy side firms on the planet. Very good. Tyler Wood, thank you ever so much for joining me today to wrap up uh, 2022. We appreciate your uh, insight into the topic and good luck with next year. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Looking forward to the next time. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Tyler. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. 
consumers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary to seek professional advice. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at IDKR.com. Trading in digital assets, including cryptocurrencies, is especially risky and is only for individuals with a high risk tolerance and the financial ability to sustain losses. Eligibility to trade in digital asset products may vary based on jurisdiction. There is a substantial risk of loss in foreign exchange trading. The settlement date of foreign exchange trades can vary due to time zone differences and bank holidays. The interest rate on borrowed funds must be considered when computing the cost of trades across multiple markets. Any discussion or mention of an ETF is not to be construed as recommendation, promotion, or solicitation. All investors should review and consider associated investment risks, charges, and expenses of the investment company or fund prior to investing. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice. 